like we, we were t we were talking about you know um, the Paris E Prix, and obviously you obviously you went there and you you sat through the uh, the eight degree race and the hailstorm and the the rainstorm. But t tell us a bit tell us a bit about the atmosphere of Paris. I mean, ca can you feel it from actually sitting in the stand? Um. Well, I, yes and no because where the stands were, you were in front of shops at least on the main street so it really didn't feel as parisian as if you'd have been stood in front of i think there was like an armory museum or something um near the pit lane exit that felt a lot more parisian and just a lot more sophisticated but i think it, it was such a electric atmosphere for lack of a better term there was there was just so much on and walking through Leon Valide and being able to you know see the Eiffel Tower from the circuit it, it it's a really nice area and it's a really brilliant place for them to have have put the circuit and would, would you say that uh, that 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 really underlines how Formula E needs to stay in cities oh yeah definitely I think you know, um, if, if we go back to something like Rome, I think, you know, that it, it's nice to think that it's it's sort of in a central part of a, a beautiful country, but it wasn't as beautiful to look at as somewhere like Paris is. Hmm. Um, I mean, if, if, when, it, when, it, when it comes to the race, obviously there, there was plenty of action, but uh, could, could you... Could you see the action easily from your vantage point? And where actually was your vantage point? So we were in the fifth grandstand on the main street. So we were probably only 75 metres away from the actual um, start-finish line. Uh, there was plenty of screens up um, everywhere. There was five, six screens down the main street. And um, from where I was, you could only see sort of 250 metres of the street. But um, it was it was still a nice a nice little vantage point. You know, you got to see the drivers go off at the start of the race, which unfortunately wasn't a standing start. It was a safety car start. So mm. that was that was a slight disappointment. And obviously, um, you didn't get to see the um, the excitement of a normal Formula E start. But you know, you got to see the drivers come across the line at the end, and it was it was really nice. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it certainly certainly looked great from TV as well. But uh, um, I, I mean, what, um, what about the access to uh, all of the entertainments as well? I mean, obviously the E Village and uh, or or some people some people call it the Not Paddock. You know, has plenty of uh, things to do. Did you get a chance to enjoy those? Um, yeah, yeah, I did. There's there's plenty of time between you know the I Pace races and the Formula E sessions to go and have a look around. Um, it was absolutely packed every single time. There was, you know, people handing out flags or there's like competitions, there's the simulators, there was, um, you know, you could go into the almost not hospitality, but like hospitality style areas of the different teams and things. And you could get a good look at, you know, the cars and have a chat to like team representatives and things and there, w there was always something to do you were never you were never going to be bored while you were there yeah um what 
What was what was your favourite part of the weekend? Did did you have any any particular memory that you would that you would uh, you would take home? Oh, I don't I don't think I could pick one particular thing. I just think the whole atmosphere and you know it's it's my first it was my first Formula E race. I'd done testing a few years ago, but I'd never actually attended a race. So I think just the whole atmosphere, the whole experience was it was it's really nice it'll it'll stay with me for a while yeah i mean i'm, I'm going to berlin um for the next e3 so uh, i'm i'm looking for tips myself i mean uh if 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 we assume because uh, press accreditation is taking a while to get back to me that that i'll be going as a fan um as as a fan what do you recommend somebody does first when they enter the circuit um I, I'd say just wander around a little bit, just walk around, take it all in, find where everything is. Um, if if you have grandstand seats, find where your grandstand is. Just just take a little walk around, see where everything is, and then you can always go back and look at things in more detail a, bit, a little bit later on. Mm. And um, is is it worth is it worth staying within the boundaries of the circuit for the for the entire race? I mean, uh, presumably there is. There, there is enough to do to stick around for the whole of practice and qualifying and then the support races, etc. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Because even when there's the breaks between sessions, there's always something going on in the village or somewhere around the circuit. There'll be something to look at. So really, there, there is no point in sort of wandering off and then coming back later. Saying that, you did have uh, some issues with the organisation of the pre. And uh, yeah. I mean... Obviously, we're both fans of Formula E. We both want it to be successful, but you know, a bit of constructive criticism is well worth it. So, what would you say they could do better? Well, um, just as a small bit of backstory, because I think what I'm going to say probably won't make much sense. Um, when we were in the village, it was probably about 40 minutes until the race started, and we sort of decided to go back over to our grandstand get settled back in just sort of prepare for the race and the bridges to get across the circuit which are kind of a, a bit precarious at the best of times um they'd been closed without warning no one had been told they were closed um so the staff were not talking to anyone in english even if you asked for um english translation no one would give you anything in a language that you could understand and um really the staff were telling you the race was cancelled not that you had to walk around to the entrance and come back in and generally i think it, it's not formula e's fault i think it's the staff that they employed more than it is the the organizers but um really the staff were quite pushy they they were they were quite rude they were overly aggressive as well towards anyone it didn't matter who you were they would be quite pushy with you um when we went back into the circuit there were no organized queues it was uh, probably close to 100 120 people crowding to get into an entrance and that was not a nice situation to be in it was absolutely horrible it was so claustrophobic and people were pushing and shoving just to get back into the circuit then the um when you go in you have to be bag and body searched um which is that's absolutely fair enough i completely understand that but 
when you are being pushed towards three male body searchers, then being shouted at in French for not going to a female, it it's just not a very nice experience. And the um, I wanted the full fan experience while I was there, so I was going to go to the driver's signing, and it was announced very late. You had to have, have read somewhere online that it was it was going to be on. Um, there was only a warning that it was taking part about 30 minutes beforehand. So I decided to go find it. They didn't specifically say where it was. Um, found it, went to get in the back of the queue and I was almost physically pushed by um, a staff member out of it instead of being told that the queue was full. So I think maybe more training on the staff's end of things. Cause I, I, like I said, I do think it is the staff more than it is Formula E's organisers but this isn't the first time I've heard of something like this happening at Paris I've heard of it happen at other E-Pris as well so I think it could just be down to the staff more than anything but but there definitely does need to be something done about it because if it was my first experience at Formula E and I wasn't you know working within the series I'd probably look at it and never want to come back just because of the experience that I had in sort of the last two hours I was there. Mm. I, I mean, so, certainly some of the things you said sound a bit alarming, particularly, you know, I, I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you're, you're a young person, but you can, you can handle yourself, but still being, being, being pushed around or being, you know, uh, um, if, if, if you like, jostled by male members of staff, it doesn't sound particularly great however you look at it. I mean... If we look at something which has been routinely, you know, um, praised for crowd control, like the London 2012 Olympics, one of the things they did there was uh, em employ young volunteers to uh, to stand around, you know, major crowd areas and, you know, just be there to have conversations with spectators to 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 explain things. So rather than rather than being asked to, you know, direct the traffic, they they were just there to explain what was happening. Do you think maybe a few a few volunteers could have been good on the Formula E side as well? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, they had younger volunteers at the entrances just to guide you if you were lost. And there was a few inside as well doing, like, surveys just to see, you know, how you're enjoying the pre, how you got there, etc. But I think that the staff felt so intimidating that you couldn't even talk to them to ask for directions or anything or to ask for information on things going on that day so I think younger staff members just to just that are purely there for information purposes and things like that would have been very helpful yeah of course um, I, I mean the, the other thing is you know for, Formula E has been going for five seasons now so um, presumably the uh, amount of interest built up you know particularly this season, as, as we've got uh, Massa and Van Dorn and the new cars, uh, do you think maybe there is an extent of, uh, or th there is a certain amount of um, Formula E and maybe the race organisers, the regional organisers, not actually understanding how much interest there would be this season? Um, that that could definitely be um, one reason. Yeah, I think it's it's been an issue since Paris was first added onto the calendar, so. I feel like a few seasons on, something should have been sorted out by now. 
Right. Um, but uh, would you would you still go back to Paris for for another Formula E race, or would you uh, would you instead look for another place on the calendar for, uh, for your next visit? I would definitely go back, but purely for the atmosphere rather than to have a, a full a full fan experience. Um, but I I would if I again if I wasn't working within the series probably look more towards something like Berlin or Bern or even even Monaco just just for a bit of a different experience yeah um, I mean I'm, I'm really looking forward to going to going to Berlin um, I think uh, you know whether, whether I'm there as a fan or um, a yeah, quote-unquote journalist it'll be um, it, it'll be interesting to actually get to an EP and be able to produce some content on the scene because uh, you know, do, doing this doing this in the front room. I know it's what most uh, fan uh, sites do, but uh, it, it it does rather isolate you from from the action. So it it'll, yeah. it'll just be great to see things going past and be able to, you know, hopefully describe the speed to people. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think you know, being actually at a, a race event feels so much different to almost like being sort of more of an armchair journalist if if that makes sense you mm. know it's such a different environment and obviously i haven't got masses of experience of working at races because I'm, I'm still too young to work at most places but when you do eventually you know get accreditation for somewhere and you actually get to talk to the drivers and see firsthand their emotions and actually get a, a good look at everything from uh, an inside perspective it, it it in a good way changes your view on on motorsport and it it feels so much better than doing it from home yeah absolutely um and uh, I, I mean I, i've got loads of ideas as to where what what to do in terms of uh, you know what to what to uh, put together for uh, the Berlin weekend. I, I thought um, maybe about doing this podcast uh, as as a kind of as live podcast with. Uh, uh, I, th I think I think Peter is going to be there, and um, uh, well, um, obviously if we can if we can get Hazel and she's not too busy, then that'd be great. But uh, um, I mean, uh, also there's there's plenty of opportunity for video as well. So. I, I, I might try and do a bit of a Nico Rosberg style vlog while I'm there. Um, speaking speaking of which, though, um, Nico Rosberg's vlog has been a major hit with F1 fans, um, and he seems to have transitioned very smoothly from uh, being a retired driver with a wife and kids and plenty of you know personal responsibilities to um, to effectively being the racing version of Casey Neistat, but. Uh, is is it what racing fans want, and what what does it take to be a good content creator in twenty nineteen? I mean, let's let's start with Nico. Uh, Sophie, what do you think of his output? Uh, do do you like what he's making, and do you, um, do you watch it? Um, occasionally I I do watch him. Yeah, I think it's it's very interesting in terms of more of a behind the scenes look of everything. You know, he he's an XF one driver. He knows what he's talking about and the content he's putting out is is simple but it's 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 good it's interesting it draws you in he's doing a really good job of it he is yeah and um obviously you know that's that's what you get when you're able to put unlimited resources into it in terms of camera work production staff and uh you know t um, time in the editing suite but uh, um 
I, I think I think we've explored before that it is possible for lower budget content creators to to, to do that, uh, you know, with with a relatively uh, uh, low price camera and um, you know whatever editing software is on the PC, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. You can do it. You can do it on a budget for definite. It's not massively hard to you know pick up a camera film what you're doing have a little bit of a chat with your audience and then all you need is just some basic editing software i mean even when when i used to you know put videos out on youtube and motorsport content and things i was filming on my phone and then editing on imovie so you you really you don't need the the big you know expensive production value of it all you you really can just do it on a budget anyone can pick up a camera and put a video on youtube i think it's just making sure that if you're not using that big production team that you are putting something out that would still be of interest to to motorsport fans and uh, do you think what would be of interest to motorsport fans has changed over the last uh, few years i mean um, obviously we've seen from the audiences that the big creators have um, you know that uh, I mean, people are constantly pushing uh, F1 Word and Chain Bear for more content, uh, and uh, Mark Priestley to an extent as well. Um, do, do you think that um, uh, the expectations of uh, online fans um, in terms of the content that's given to them has increased in the last few years? Oh, definitely, definitely. There, there are no more entitled fans than motorsport fans, and <laughs> I, I say that in a good way. Um, you know... I think a few years ago, people were, you know, casually watching, you know, the the um, F1 games a lot, you know, um, people who would sim and league race and everything like that and the uh, career modes and things. But I think that's kind of just dropped off as the, the games have got less popular. And then these videos, you know, like the F1 word, where it is more commentary style has become a lot more popular you know you can just stick it on in the background and just listen to it you don't have to put significant time aside to watch it or be that involved in it but it's also informational more than it is you know just silly bit of fun yeah absolutely and um i mean uh, presumably you have your own uh, um, plans for uh, create creating content in the near future i mean at the, at the moment, you're mostly writing articles, I believe, but uh, do, do, you, do you have plans to get into podcasting yourself or YouTubing yourself? Um, I did give motorsport YouTubing a go, but at the moment, I just don't have the, the time alongside um, getting things ready for college and work and, you know, writing for Formula Reason to be able to put 100% effort into making um, good quality content for YouTube. Yeah, of course. Um, so, what what is, what is the future for uh, for um, online content in motorsports? Um, are, are we going to see more uh, independents come along, or do you do you think that um, it, you know have, having that authority of being a quote unquote proper journalist who goes to the tracks is it is it going to still be important in the future? It's very difficult to say because the content that people enjoy is constantly changing. Um, who, who knows? Like you said, maybe the the proper, you know, the paid accredited um, journalists will be the ones who 
possibly take over but then some people might not want the serious educational informational videos they might want to go back to watching you know someone do an f1 2019 career mode or something it completely it completely changes you know every month as to what is more popular but i i think the more independent fans who come in you know just as purely fans and wind up in you know journalist roles will probably start to take over reasonably soon because i think that is quite a uh, popular thing at the moment yeah, I mean, when I when I started uh, writing about motorsports, which was um, well a hundred years ago, um, I I I mean, the, my only goal was to become a journalist for one of the big motor racing magazines because, as far as I was concerned, that that was the only way to get involved in writing for an audience about motor racing. But I mean, I I almost wish that all this technology was around when when I was seventeen or eighteen because uh, I mean I I can see now that. You know, some of some of the big YouTubers, some of the big fan sites, actually have wider audiences than than, for example, Autosports videos that they put out, and it's it's become a really crowded marketplace. Saying that, um, there is a bit of tension, it seems, between um, as I say, the people who consider themselves proper journalists and the kind of uh, fan bloggers and fan writers. Uh, we we saw that recently with. Uh, a bit of Twitter to and fro between someone writing for WTF1, which is uh, probably one of the biggest fan-created sites around, uh, and someone who writes uh, for uh, one of, one of the more sort of uh, established blue chip sites. Um, what do you think is the root of this tension, and um, is there a way of working together better between journalists and uh, fan sites? Definitely, that there there are so many ways that you know the the two can work together because in essentially the the reason why these big paid journalists working at you know like autosport.com style publications don't like the the fan sites is because they're actually more popular than something like autosport now because the the. The quality of journalism from these these big sites in past few months has kind of gone downhill a little bit and it is almost a sort of elitist, well, I get paid to write for this big worldwide known publication and you probably aren't getting paid much, if anything, to write for a, a fan site created by fans. You They see them as like armchair journalists rather than people who are, you know, big and respected in motorsport and they could quite easily work together you know it would be so nice to see these big journalists joining the the small fan sites just to to bring them up a little bit and get them a little bit more well known because like i said the fan sites are so much more accessible and interactive and they're a lot more fun than these big publications are um yeah, and, and do, do you think? I mean, why are they more fun? What the, what do you think is the element that the that the blue chip sites are missing? Well, they're created by fans for the fans. So when you look at it from a fan perspective, you know what people are wanting out of it because it, it's it's what you want from it. And when you're a fan, you can relate to the fans. Whereas these um, these bigger journalists are not necessarily fans so much as they are just being paid to write about it 
Um, so they, they don't always know or understand what people want to see, which is why Autosport have sort of dropped off a little bit, the same with motorsport.com, because they're not they're not really that interactive with people who are reading their things. You don't you don't feel like a valued part of a community if you know people aren't interacting with you. That's why people go more towards the fan sites is because you are interacted with, you feel like a valuable member of something. Well, yeah, this is it. Um, and uh, if, I mean, um, I, I, I know that I pretty much hero worship the guy on here um, regularly, but uh, if, if, if you look at some of the stuff that Chainbear is making, I mean, um, he, he's, he's become successful through using his uh, career, which is graphic design um, and art, and, um, you know, directing that towards F1, which is his personal passion. And what you end up with is a uh, quite graphically heavy, but uh, also really impressive uh, explainer video on various parts of F1 that perhaps the, um, the more journalistic sites don't necessarily think to cover. I mean, for example, uh, you know, um, why, why is overtaking so hard in F1? Well, it's, it's, it's something that Autosport have covered, but uh, it's, it's much harder to talk it through in a room than it is to actually draw it and show it on a computer, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I think that the problem I have with Autosport's YouTube content, at least, is that it's very serious, very line of stern. There's not much room for opinions in it. It's not, in, in my opinion, it's not interesting. It's not something that I would go out of my way to watch. Right. So, uh, what what do you go out of your way to watch? Uh, which which channels are your go tos? Um, generally, things like um, again the F one word, and then um, F one slash FE reviews. Um, for one, because he he is working with Formula Reason, but for two, his content is that commentary style. You can put it on in the background, just listen to it. It's nice to hear opinions more than you know always straight facts about things i you know i enjoy listening to people's opinions on motorsport generally those will be my my two go-to channels right um just just looking at uh i mean wtf1 fascinates me because uh um it's it's a site that's 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 never set out to be a straight serious news site uh so it it, it makes it very clear in all of its content i think you know um we're we're doing this for fun and uh, people seem to embrace that uh do, do you think that the, the reason that people embrace that is because they're so honest about look we're fans we're like you um yeah yeah i i agree there and as much as i I'm not the biggest WTF1 fan. They are doing a brilliant job of, of running what is essentially still a, a fan site and probably the biggest motorsport fan site there is. Mm. And I guess my my one criticism, which I put on Twitter recently, was that uh, I I feel like they've got uh, actually you know genuinely talented uh, documentary makers doing their videos. People like Matt. Um, but uh, and and they've clearly got a budget behind them because uh, for that Hockenheim video they did recently, they were able to borrow an Aston Martin Vantage to drive there. You know, so yeah. Um, so that they they've got the presentation uh, down pat, and uh, they've they've also got a decent present presenter as well. But they they could really 
I mean, I, I feel like sometimes uh, they put themselves under pressure to to still seem like a fan site, and one of one of the ways they do that is by ironically looking like they don't research as much as they actually do. So some, something like, for example, going to the middle of the woods and saying, "Yeah, we we ignored the we ignored the tour guide and just decided to go off in our own direction." Now, to to me, that's not great journalism, but I can understand that they're not doing it because it because it is great journalism. So I think that was a moment where maybe WTF1's content was not designed for someone like me. It was designed for maybe a younger viewer. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I do not really share their sort of jerky, silly sense of humour, but their, their demographic is probably set to younger than me. Um, I, I reckon it's probably maybe 14... 14 to maybe 16 will probably be their biggest demographic um it is made for the younger fans and you can kind of see that in the sort of sense of humor and the jokes and things and the sort of people that comment on their videos and things you can kind of see that their demographic is lower so obviously they are going to tailor their content to a younger audience yeah all right well um it, it's, it's, it's been a real pleasure chatting about this uh, and um, what, what, what are your hopes for, for the rest of the season like uh, do, do you think do you think we'll see a um, 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 an eighth different uh, winner of the season and uh, equally um, who, who's gonna who's gonna be champion after all this uh, is, is Jeff gonna pull it through I mean this is Formula A absolutely anything is possible I think there is definitely the opportunity for uh, another brand new winner not that um any of us can really predict who it is that's that's just the way formula e is um in terms of the championship again it's it's so close up there i don't i don't think we anyone could um predict who it could be but i think i've started to set my sights on jeb as being a two-time champion i i mean it, it certainly looks um like a strong possibility at the moment. Uh, if, um, if 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 he takes a third win in Berlin, then I I can't see any way that they wouldn't um, give Andre team orders to support him uh, for Bern and uh, the New York doubleheader. I also think that Tachita um, has had, along with BMW I Andretti, the strongest chassis in most of the races uh, since the start of the season. Now that. They've they've kind of uh, wasted that with a few poor races and with some uh, you know unlucky decision making uh, and of course you know all of those stoppages that have on on, on occasions re re um, re reduced the race to you know more of a lottery. But uh, now, now that we now that we've seen strategy come back into it, now that we've seen powertrains come back into it a bit more, uh, that that DS to Cheetah combination with uh, that driver combination does look quite tasty, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. They have got two incredibly strong and experienced drivers. I think, you know, they they've both done a fantastic job this season. But I, I still I still think Jeb could just about do it. Right. Well, we shall see. Um, also, also, you know, coming back to uh, what um, coming back to what we uh, discussed with Hazel, who who do you think are the drivers who are perhaps at risk for season six who who need who really needs to up their game in the last few races definitely tom dillman um 
it's not been brilliant season for him I kind of feel like he might just end up as a seat warmer for another driver um as as much as I am a, a fan uh Danny Lapps he's again a few seasons now he's he's been sort of below what is expected and you know that his his dad doesn't earn that team anymore so there's there's really no way of saying that he he will definitely still be there Right. Well, um, I, I mean, I, I, I would say uh, uh, um, Alexander Sims uh, is a fantastic team player and an intelligent driver and um, also s- someone who, as a person, uh, just from his um, online presence, I really like. Um, and I, I very much hope that uh, uh, BMW Andretti will keep him next season because I think consistency will certainly help that team. But... Um, it, just judging by the noises from the paddock, it does seem like perhaps they might be looking uh, at other drivers. Um, who, who do you think are the drivers on the market who would be good for a team like BMW or would be good for a team like Audi if they were looking? Oh, see, I haven't ever thought about this. Um... I mean, do you think uh, do, do, do you think someone like Mitch Evans, who's done, um, who's uh, push Jaguar above and beyond, you could argue, their performance level, um, will be looking for a move next season? Um, honestly, he, he could be, especially after his um, his first race win. I think that will have bumped him up the driver market a little bit more. But I think he could possibly be a good fit for um, for BMW. Right. And uh, of course, there's been there's been rumours of him uh, joining up with uh, his his uh, managerial uh, partner and um, uh, old old buddy Mark Webber at Porsche as well. Which uh, um, now that Brendan Hartley's joined Toyota for the WEC Super Season next season, uh, looks like a bigger prospect than it was. But uh, we shall have to see. Anyway, Sophie, really appreciate you coming on. Um, Thank you very much. And um, let's talk again, maybe after Berlin.